computers are dumb. They can only answer questions. You know, and, and I think the point is, the hard part is asking the questions. Right. The hard part is something that, that, that only us creative people can do. And so if we're not enabling people to do more, if we're just trying to automate or take away work from them, um, or, you know, just gather data for the sake of gathering it, we haven't done anything. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, in partnership with Leumitech, sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Upwest Labs, Synergy Global, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, Birthright Excel, Serona Partners, and in media partnership with C-Tech. I love talking to fast-growing startups. Meet Sagi Liao, the co-founder and CEO of Tonkin. Tonkin is the operating system for business operations, transforming operations teams from facilitators into makers with an enterprise-grade, no-code process orchestration platform. By abstracting the technical knowledge required to automate, monitor, and manage mission-critical business processes, while still maintaining compliance and security, Tonkin enables enterprises to accelerate operational velocity at scale. Founded in 2015, Tonkin is headquartered in San Francisco with R&D in Tel Aviv. Zagelio, welcome to 20-Minute Leaders. How are you? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Thank you very, very much for joining me from San Francisco. Um, running a really, really cool company, uh, Tonkin, uh, which I just learned is, is a type of a monkey. So uh, <laughs> you'll explain to me that the, the name choice in a second. But until then, you know, the whole... The whole idea of data-driven companies, data-driven decisions, the intersection of business and business and intelligence and, and how processes are being made within businesses, I think it's fascinating. And I think it's, it's fascinating in a changing world with an accelerated globalization with remote work and, and decisions having to be made across a variety of, of disciplines within companies. And, and so I, I, you can see already that I'm really excited about what you're doing. Sagi, before we even dive into what I just said, who, who is Sagi Eliyahu? <laughs> well, again, thank you for having me, Michael. I'm CEO and founder of Tonkin. And um, I'm, I like to say that uh, I'm, I'm a software guy at heart. You know, I've been, been writing code since I was 10 years old type of thing. But I uh, had, you know, had the experience and the opportunity to grow as a leader and, um, and, and an executive in, in public company um, before starting Tonkin. And so, uh, I'm very, uh, bullish about this space as well. And I actually like to say that, you know, we started Tonkin about six years ago. So think, you know, I'm excited to see your excitement because let me tell you six years ago, no one understood what I, I want from them. <laughs> I yeah. can imagine. It's a good time. I can imagine six, take me back six years ago. You're sitting, you're thinking, you're looking at the world. What, what are you observing? So, you know, the, there's a benefit always to come into a room for the first time, right? You look around and everything is new for you. You don't have the baggage of, you know, what is the status quo? How, you know, the things we used, the way we used to do things. Um, and that's kind of what happened to me. Um, I was, I was in the army in Israel, um, in the intelligence unit, I you know joined a small startup that got acquired by a 
by a you know public tech company, and I got the opportunity to grow there relatively quickly and grow a team there. So we actually grew the uh, the, the team in Israel from about seven people we were in the startup to over 150 people, um, and I was leading this group, and then I moved. Uh, with this company here to the Bay Area, and that's how I ended up here originally. And um, and at that point, had over 300 people under me. And so no wow. longer engineering, more you know, more global and different different parts of the business. But I was new to all of it. You know, I sort of grew into it, and I had my engineering and software experience, but not necessarily operation experience. And so every time I came to, you know, whether it was uh, executive staff meeting or an offsite or whether it was just like ordinary decision making i just felt like things are weird are strange are are inefficient are you know there i say old <laughs> in the way we do it and it's it's a known thing that you know development and r&d usually are you know a few steps ahead with um with technology in general but even with you know methodology and how how you operate because you need to sort of keep up with the technology um, advance, advances, right? But the rest of the business, how do you manage legal? How do you manage sales? How do you manage, you know, marketing? How do you manage finance? It's sort of like lagging, if you will, in, in the methodologies and the tools you're using. And I just felt like, honestly, there's a huge, huge mismatch between the technology we have and what we need in order to run a business. And so... To kind of, you know, the highlight that a lot of people talk about, like, what is the sort of like, um, you know, that that light bulb moment. For me, it was, I realized that that business, business processes that we all do all the time are not actually about data. They're about people. But 100% of software in the organization is about data. You know, move right. data around, you log data, you view data. And... Um, and the, and and the things we've built are not built for how people work. In 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 fact, we're changing the way people work in order to fit to the tools we have, and that's just felt like a a big enough problem for me to solve. And so um, so I started to um, you know join forces with my my co-founder and start talking. So you're you're sitting there and you're thinking, okay, how I'm, how in the world am I gonna change the way businesses are run? from the inside, how processes are run, how decisions are being made, not letting the, the data be the, the epicenter of, of, of all the decisions, but, but allowing the people to make, to, to run the processes. How do you even begin to rationalize through what type of product you can build to make that happen? It's hard. <laughs> In fact, it, you know, it took six, it took, to be honest, three years for us to really start a break. Through. Wow. Um, so only three years ago is really when, you know, things start to rapidly turn for us. Um, the first three years are a combination of that sort of trial and error, you know, trying to figure this out and trying to better understand where the market is currently. And, you know, um, how do we take that concept that is very emotional to me, but not as, you know, what the beginning wasn't as like practical so how do you kind of turn it into a practical solution? Uh, but to be honest, the market wasn't there too. So there's other things that are important. Um, you know, digital transformation is just a huge thing for the last 10 years with the cloud and everything. And today, a lot more companies are in the cloud, but not everyone still. 
but it's a different situation that, than it was six years ago and it was 10 years ago. That's one thing. Right. Uh, APIs, you know, just the concept of companies building products and understanding that they need to be part of an ecosystem, you know, is an obvious thing now. It was not obvious 10 years ago. It was less obvious six years ago. So a lot of those things, you know, are uh, the, 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 the world has moved to it. But even automation, people that, you know, know about the space a little bit of no code, low code and automation in general, that concept of not every problem should be solved necessarily with buying an off-the-shelf product. Just this mental thinking is also something that, you know, sort of grew as a market, you know, side by side with our uh, personal growth as a company. And so it really sort of like met in the middle, I like to say, you know, about three years ago. Right. But yeah, that's part, and so the, that's part of the process. The... When you're when you're approaching companies and you're and you're talking about the way processes are run, the way data is is run within an organization, how receptive are they? You know, you just you know, for even from the light light bulb moment, you know, when three years ago things started to turn, how how receptive are they the first time they're thinking critically about okay, we have we're running an operation here, we might actually be doing we might actually be making decisions without the right tools. Yeah. I think it comes down to Two things. One, the investment or the priority for companies to invest in improving operations. Um, that's almost like a culture shift. The understanding that we need to invest in how we do things just as much as investing in what we do. And COVID, you know, is terrible, but, but on, from a, from a, from a, prioritization stand was actually very uh, inducive moment because what happened was change is all of a sudden not a theoretical thing that you need to be afraid of. It literally just happened. Everyone had to change everything about how they work, whether it's remote, whether it's the shutdowns, whether it's the fact that your customers and consumers change their behavior. That change was not, again, not no longer a theoretical thing. It was an, an immediate Thing that you have to adapt to and if you don't you die it's very simple it's as simple as that and so all of a sudden companies that um even big companies which i can talk in a second like the type of companies we work with that never had operational efficiency or operational excellence in their top you know three company-wide initiatives are now kind of made the cut and became like the number one or number two or number three Goals wow. no longer only revenue or only customer satisfaction, but also operational operational excellence and operational efficiency. So that's the first thing. It's like, what is the? Why would you even listen to me? Like, why what? Why is that even matter? Right. And then the second thing is, what does it actually mean, though? Now, what does it mean to change your um, to up level your operation the way you leverage technology for it? So one thing that people need to understand. Is that nothing ha ever happens in you know in a silo? It's like it's it's a, it's a movement, um, and me, you maybe even know, know it yourself. You know, ten years ago, you had um, roles like dev operation, developer operations, DevOps, and sales operations. Those are about ten years old. Today, but that, it was all, basically all, the only type of operations you had. Today, every department has an operation teams. You know, you have legal operations and finance operations and IT operations and compliance operations and HR. Literally, name 
uh, you know, a department and, and they now have an operation role. Uh, that's part of that investment. That's part of that understanding that you need to put people to think about how are they going to improve the, the operation, the processes as a full-time job, not as an after effect that something doesn't work, let's fix it. Right. But like I said, what is the technology? What is the methodology that is available for them to actually iterate? Um, and so without getting into too much details, you, you can think about what we're trying to bring to customers from our product and, and our capabilities, similar to the same to the to the invention of the assembly line in a factory floor. You know, before there was a time in history where factories ran as a stations of work, some heavy machines, some just people sitting together. And literally the people that were handling the process were people were, you know, wearing a yellow vest, yelling. Yes. <laughs> the process was something you print on the wall. Um, right. And then the industrial revolution literally started from that simple concept of we need to orchestrate the work, not only execute the work better, but the way we actually move the work around the factory floor needs to be orchestrated. Um, even if there's still station of work that are humans and not only machines, it's not only connecting machines, it's actually orchestrating and coordinating the entire thing. And so that's what we're trying to bring to businesses to enable those operation teams to build their own custom solutions without writing any code. So 100% no code in a composable fashion. So, and it's a lot of big words, but it's, 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 it's basic, simple concepts of, Hey, take the, the, the parts that you already have and think about them as Lego blocks right. and build your own solution with those blocks um, that fits your need uh, perfectly. So you can actually now start to optimize it and iterate on it. Um, I'd love to to pick your brain on, you know, as you started mentioning that you love software, right? That's how we started the conversation. And I think that it's, there's an interesting question here to be asked, which is, you know, this idea of generalization versus customization. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, building software, building a product that is that is aiming to allow, you know, a generalized group of companies create customized solutions for them without using code themselves, right? Without having to go and tweak the product in any way. It's basically taking two polar opposites and, and building them in one. What, what is that process like, either from a technological perspective or from a business perspective? It is actually comes down to that, um, to that compos com composable approach. And you know, the funny thing about bringing software into you know, different places and believing in software, it's not only the, the technical part of the software, it's the mental concept of it, the ability mm. to build whatever you need. Like so what software really gives uh, in a digital world that we live in, it's a, it, it's, a, it's a superpower. You can build whatever you want. You know what I mean? It's like, it's all digital, it's all software. So if you can build software, you can build whatever you want. But you know what the percentage of people that can code in the, in the world? Guess. Oof. I would go with 0.1%. Not far, half, half, less than half a percent, um, point, point four, and it's nothing if you think about it's it. Nothing. It's, it's really nothing. We were, I like to think about it that if if you think about humanity as a tribal in a tribal state, you have like you have hundred people in a tribe. If only half a person 
could build things. <laughs> Only the kid yeah. can code. <laughs> yeah, we, we won't survive. You know what I mean? Um, right. So the percentage of people that can actually build things, figure problems, figure out problems, find solutions, I call those type of people makers. And the idea is the makers, they see a problem, they don't raise their hand like, hey guys, there's a problem. Instead, they're like, oh, I wonder how I can fix it. And this is not statistic, statistically accurate because I don't know if I can count it, but just logically speaking, again, going back to that tribe example, there's gotta be at least 20, 30% or by minimum 10% of the population that are makers. Cause otherwise, again, we won't survive, right? Right, and, and and this, and just to make it clear, you're, when you're when you're calling a maker, this is not a, a professional trait. This is a, a personal characteristic of exactly. the way we approach problems and solutions, right? Exactly. And the only difference between a maker and a coder in this example, just like a difference between a maker and a woodworker, is the skill set and the right. tools that they have in order to do that. To you know, to to bring solutions to life. Um, they already have the personality and the capability to do it. You know, even this podcast was much harder to do in the past without the different tools. You had to have like a, a full studio to do that. So what does this technology allow you to do? To bring people that actually has that creativity and bring that to market. Same goes to Photoshop or other, you know, design tools. It used to be much more complex, but the abstraction of that complexity, but still allowing you to create whatever you want to your previous point, right? It's a general thing, but it allows to abstract the complexity. What it really does, it's empower people that doesn't have, empower, reduce that skills gap into people that already have that you know personal trait. So when I think about businesses and how businesses run, they're not leveraging technology, not even, even though we think, oh, everything is, is software, we're literally using a 0.4% of the potential of what we can do with technology. And the way there is not just shoving more software and more apps down, you know, down the company throat, it's the opposite. It's enable and empower more people, people that have that role even, you know, the operation teams that literally that's their role to improve the processes, but they cannot code. They don't know how to code. They're, they understand legal processes. They understand sales processes, they understand marketing processes. They're, they can do amazing stuff in, in a spreadsheet, you know, but they're not coders. Um, how can I empower them to build custom solutions? Because that's kind of where it all comes down to in my mind and why, you know, we're excited about what we're doing. If you make something that allows people to do things better, you impact the world for sure, but you impact it in a linear way. If you allow more people to do things better, you expand the pie, then your impact becomes exponential. You don't even know where it will take you. And we all experienced that with an iPhone and what it, you know, what it changed the world. It's not only the iPhone, it's the fact that now more people can write applications to the iPhone, created a situation where there's an application for everything and completely transform how everyone work. You've never thought about when they created the iPhone, they never thought about the magnitude and scope of things that people have, have built for it. And so similarly, wow. we're trying to create a movement and trying to instill that concept of, you know, iterative approach, literally agile approach to how you run the business. And to do that, you need a framework and architecture that allows you to do that. Just like the cloud allowed, you know, agile development in, in software development. So, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff, but it all comes back to that 
very basic concept of we need to empower more people to leverage software. I, I think that what what, I, what leaves me, you know, very inspired from from this conversation, you know, I, I came in understanding that you know processes are complicated, data driven world is complicated. There's a mismatch between the company's ability to to connect the business and the and the data and and make better decisions. But we're actually touching on something that's a, that's a little bit deeper, and you're actually saying we're actually misusing the potential of of the people that are around us. And the potential of people in the company that that could, that of what they could do as makers today, they may just they may not have the skills to do that because, frankly, coding is you know just this last generation or maybe two generations, and and even in those generations, the disparity of those that are able to learn how to code is is really really is really really big. This disparity and and uh, and and bridging the gap is not easy either. And so I think that uh, that this is this is going to leave me with with a lot of thoughts. And I really want to thank you, you with, for this time. I leave yeah. you for with the last with the last quote that I just love from please um, Picasso, which is you know completely random. But actually, he said, um, computers are dumb. They can only answer questions. You know, and, wow. and I think the point is, the hard part is asking the questions. Right. The hard part is something that, that, that only us creative people can do. And so if we're not enabling people to do more, if we're just trying to automate or take away work from them, um, or, you know, just gather data for the sake of gathering it, we haven't done anything. We, you know, right. we just um, we just check the box. So, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Segi, I really, really want to thank you uh, for for the time and 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 everything. And this was a, this is such a pleasure and inspiring. Thank you for uh, for sh- for spending this time with me. And best of luck with with Tonkin and with everything else that you're doing. And stay safe and stay healthy. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for the time. 